To you, this is the breaking business news on RTHK Radio 3's Money for Nothing on Thursday, the 13th of August. I'm Richard Harris, and your business headlines this morning. The RMB continues to tumble. World markets topple as traders work out their strategies, but Wall Street recovers to close flat. And in other news, Google's new breakup company is called Alphabet. Unfortunately, as it turns out, that domain name is owned by BMW. You would have thought they'd have checked the name first by Googling it or Bing or Yahoo. Well, our producer, Sandra Lamb, uh, has worked overtime yesterday to bring you an excellent slate, or maybe it's a confusion of senior market economists. They'll help us make sense of the China devaluation story and what it means to our investments. In our first segment, we have Francis Cheng of Societe Generale to give us her specialised view on currencies and rates. Next, we have Puru Saxena of his own wealth management company, to give us the lowdown on the markets as a whole. And last, but certainly not least, Chief Economist Alicia Garcia-Herrero of Natexas is going to round off our day to leave you fully informed. But first, we have the Economist Economist, the good doctor Enzio von Feil, Economics PhD. Good morning, Enzio. Good morning to you. Thank you for that. That's all right. I once heard that economists have three hands because they say on the one hand something, on the other hand, on the third hand. I'm sure that's not the same. More trenchantly, we tell the time by looking at somebody else's watch. I've never known you sit on the fence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is the renminbi now driven by market forces? Well, let me start this way. You can't be half pregnant, I'm told, by my women friends. And what that means is that the renminbi is not being totally driven by market forces. According to today's FT, in fact, the PBOC yesterday, the central bank came in trying to lift the renminbi a little bit. So it's a little bit of a dirty float, basically, what we called that years and years ago. So 70% market, 30% politics. Mm, Interesting, but uh, a lot more floaty than it was uh, just two days ago. Oh, yes. And that, I think, was very much the hope. I mean, I think it reflects a lot of internal political strife in China. I don't think that Li Keqiang was very, very happy about this, but other groups in there must be because with the market tumble, somebody in China has been saying we have to get growth going again. And one way to do this is to devalue the renminbi. Mm, uh, well, we'll be following uh, on those thoughts uh, in, a, in a little minute. The renminbi flexed its muscles and its newfound market forces yesterday by fixing down again by 1.6%, adding to a 3.5% fall in two days. It's the biggest combined fall since 1994. The currency ended at 6.387 to the US dollar before recouping its losses in the last period of trading. In Hong Kong late yesterday, the offshore yuan, uh, that's the CNH, which is the Chinese yuan in Hong Kong, was trading at 6.544, which is a 2.4% difference to the onshore. Prior to the moves, the yuan was trading at 6.2, an average of pretty well the whole of the year. Hong Kong stocks slumped 2.4% on Wednesday, or 582 points to 23,916, after weak data aggregated fears of a worsening economic slowdown. Uh, There are also fears that Hong Kong, because it's a US dollar currency, uh, will not do quite as well with the renminbi depreciating. Shanghai shares closed down 1.1%, and the uh, benchmark Shanghai Composite Index slipped to 3,886. Uh, Traders felt that the People's Bank of China had intervened to support the currency towards the end of the day. Katja Posikansky of Bloomberg reports. 
China clearly doesn't want their currency to fall off a cliff because we saw some intervention at the end of the trading in the last 15 minutes. Um, they intervened. So clearly they don't want their currency to go out of control. Of course, a volatile currency is not a currency for a reserve currency, right? They want to be uh, considered a reserve currency by the IMF. Uh, so they clearly don't want their currency to be very volatile. So it looks like they want kind of a stable adjustment to a market, uh, a free market-driven rate, which is what the IMF wants from them. So if they do this maybe piece by piece, uh, they can control um, global markets from falling apart and their own market from falling apart. They're a highly levered economy. I mean, the private sector has a lot of foreign currency debt. They don't want their currency to fall. Well, the PBSC stated that the fixings were gradually stabilized and pointed to the country's trade surplus and 3.65 trillion US dollars of foreign reserves as a sign of fundamental currency strength. Now, what's behind it? Professor and Lord Robert Skidelsky, economist and author of a biography of John Maynard Keynes, gives his view of why he thinks this is happening. And it may be that we're um, starting to see um, the reality. I mean, the, the, the problem with China is that its um, uh, export uh, growth model is really busted. Um, it's um, that relied on um, currency, uh, currency, um, uh, devalue, uh, currency depreciation and uh, pricing of currency being too low. And, of course, they can't keep that up. Um, forever. So they've got to find a new growth model. Mm -hmm. And that's really what lies behind these currency swings and each side accusing the other of mispricing its currency. Well, Professor Carmen Reinhardt of uh, Harvard Kennedy School, who was the author with Ken Rogoff of a book called This Time It's Different about the 2008 crash, gives us quite a sensible perspective. Uh, I think the uh depreciation, devaluation, whatever you want to call it in the yuan, uh, is a necessary step to maintaining the health of China, as unwelcome as the timing may be, uh, especially in light of you know the weakness in emerging markets. But uh, I don't think that this is the end-all or be-all of, first of all, the depreciation. We're likely probably to see some more. Uh, but I, by and large, this is a currency that had had uh, been quite strong for an extended period of time. I do not think this is... Uh, earth-shattering for, for, for the U.S. The U.S. Right. has weathered a significant appreciation already. Uh, but in the U.S. Uh, stocks closed fractionally higher on Wednesday, recovering from sharp intraday declines. Most markets were almost unchanged, with the S&P 500 at 2,086, and Nasdaq Composite was at 5,044. Most of these markets had earlier fallen uh, quite sharply before recovering. Uh, there was some heavy selling on European and Asian markets, and the European markets uh, were hard hit, with the Eurostox index down 3.3%. The German DAX fell 3.3%, but it caused its total fall in two days to be over 7%. German car makers in particular were, were hard hit. The U.S. dollar was actually down a touch, 0.8% uh, against the yen, um, and the euro uh, itself was up 1.2% at uh, $1.11 uh, uh, dollars to the euro. On other news, Alibaba closed down 5.1% in New York after initially plunging nearly 8% to a post-IPO low. The e-commerce giant posted the slowest growth in more than three years. Chairman Jack Ma's wealth in the company fell by $752 million U.S. million as a result.
Tencent Holdings' profit rose 25% to better than expected. Revenue was up 19%, which disappointed slightly. The stock fell 4.2% in Hong Kong. And shares of Hong Kong exchanges and clearing suffered a fall as the shares closed down 4% yesterday. Um, They only just missed their expectations. They earned 73% uh, more than the same period last year, but analysts were expecting 76%. It's just that kind of market. Their cross-border trading program, however, with Shanghai's exchange, actually contributed $115 million of revenue. Anyway, it's currently 8.11, and uh, let's go to our guests, um, try and work out what China devaluation is, is all about. It looks as if traders, strategists, economists, and maybe even the leaders in Beijing are all trying to rationalize the future. Um, how will the authorities balance pro-market reform, pro-export stimulus, and yet try and rene- rene- retain the need to control to stop things going wrong? Well, we've got Francis Cheng, who's head of rates at Strategy Asia, uh, at Societe Generale, just the sort of person we want to speak to. Good morning, Francis. Good morning. Um, Francis, just for the listeners, maybe you could just give us a 101. Can you just tell us a little bit about how the peg's working at the moment, the bans and... and what's actually happening. Right, exactly. This is what I'm going to say because I think it's very easy to talk about depreciation or devaluation, but we should not uh, overlook the main theme that the PBOC is trying to promote is a change in their ethics regime. So previously, every day, they set the renminbi fixing or so-called the midpoint for the rest of the day and market trade around plus or minus 2%, which is the band around the fixing. But now uh, they changed the uh, determination of the fixing to be much more market-driven. So basically the fixing of um, each morning, for example, later this morning, would be around the closing market price of yesterday. So that is what happened. And on Tuesday, because there was a huge gap between the market sentiment or market price and the previous fixing, so there was a one-off 1.9% so-called devaluation. And how are they actually taking the market price? Uh, That is just simply the closing price of the previous day. However, they did say that they would add two factors. One is the supply and demand situation. The other is how other currencies performed against the U.S. dollar. So that comes the question. Because these could be some black box, these could be actually determined according to a basket model, etc. But what we have observed in the past two days, we don't have a very long history of that, is that the main thing is still the market closing price of the previous day, whereas the impact of these two factors seems to be relatively small. Francis Enzio here, you've mentioned these two factors, but surely there's a third one, which is the government intervention itself. And I'm wondering how that's factored into this fixing. Uh, the, the intervention actually cannot come into the fixing, rather because they already lose kind of the control of the fixing. They have to do even more during the day if they want to keep the yuan stable. So that is the impact that we are expecting, uh, just like many other Asian currencies, uh, that ethics intervention is actually quite common. It is not rare. And when they do the ethics intervention against the current bearishness towards the renminbi, that could mean that they are tightening liquidity from the onshore market. And that may actually uh, raise the probability for them to try to ease liquidity in some other forms. Ah, I see. So basically, uh, in terms of the intervention, that's going to tighten liquidity. So they have to stimulus, st- put some stimulus into the economy domestically. But 
what do you think they're likely to do? Because so far, you know, reductions in RRR, the reserve requirements banks have to hold, and interest rates have been quite modest. Right, exactly. But I think after this um, change in FX regime, initially we were not expecting uh, that they're doing any headline easing this quarter. But now we think that they may uh, actually cut the RRR further within this quarter. And they can also try to inject liquidity through the so-called open market operations, which uh, I think is a little bit complicated. But the main thing is that they can release some more liquidity into market, uh, while on the other hand, uh, the FX intervention may withdraw some liquidity. But overall, I think uh, against the very weak, the weak economic growth outlook, they don't want to see interest rates suddenly spike up. It all sounds like a bit of a dog's breakfast to me out here because on the one hand they want a weaker renminbi but then they don't want it too weak at all and it goes into this thing that they don't quite know whether they really want to reform the economy or not to a free market economy or keep it as a dirigiste model which they have hitherto. I mean you have capital flight that's going to push a lot of the renminbi out of the market then they have to tighten to keep the renminbi from falling too much. How do you see that Francis? about this, the depreciation is only the interpretation from the market. They did do the reform. It is a very uh, big change. They make the fixing much more market-driven, so I think it is a very positive development in terms of whether or not the decisions uh, for, uh, from the IMF uh, to put the renminbi into the SDR. And the depreciation is kind of a byproduct because that is resulting from the current market sentiment. Of course, that can help to stimulate the economy, but I don't think that is their main aim. The main aim is still to reform the FX regime. Uh, so I think what they are going to do in the next few days in terms of uh, uh, the fixing, uh, as I said, uh, the two factors that is added, and also uh, the FX intervention, uh, it's going to send a very strong signal to the market whether or not they would like to see a relatively stable yuan. So we've been hearing a lot of talk in the market about uh, various wars, currency wars and deflation wars, currency wars of them trying to depreciate their currency on purpose. You're saying that's kind of not happening. But in terms of uh, depreciating their currency, what tends to happen is you also have cheaper goods in the US, you have deflation in the US, and maybe US interest rates don't have to go up. Yeah, exactly. That is what... um what the expectations is being built up in the market, uh, that maybe the chance of the U.S. or or the Fed hiking rates would be lower or maybe the Fed would be less aggressive in that. That is affecting uh, the rates market in the region. So you see uh, some rates uh, in the region are actually dropping. Uh, for example, like if you look at Taiwan dollar, uh, the Korean won, etc., uh, also they are benefiting from the flight to quality flows uh, because of the FX volatility. But uh, on the other hand, uh, opposing force would be, uh, as you also mentioned earlier, about this uh, capital outflow. So uh, I think that has a very widespread impact uh, following from this uh, RMB policies, not only to FX, but also to the interest rate market. Mm, it's almost like a game of chess with all the pieces moving. Well, Francis, Thank you very much for your very clear explanation of some complex stuff uh, today. That's Francis Cheng, who's Head of Rate Strategy Asia at Societe Generale.
Now, I'd like to introduce you to Pura Saxena, who's founder of Pura Saxena Wealth Management. Um, Pura, good morning. Good morning, Richard. Um, I'd like to play you a clip from another clip from Carmen Rogoff about um, the carry trade and the currencies and some of the other things that might be happening with this depreciation. Okay, this has been a recurring theme of mine for some time, that uh, beware of, of external debt uh, that's denominated in dollars because all of a sudden what are relatively low levels uh, of external debt uh, could, could turn quite ugly. This is something emerging markets ex-China had been facing already for the past two years. Take a look at Brazil. Brazil's de depreciation to date over 50 percent. Uh, look at Turkey, look at Colombia, uh, look at South Africa, all big depreciation. So far they've withst withstood it, but I think this just adds to the overall weakness in emerging markets that I have been stressing for some time now alongside declining commodity prices and the prospect of rising U.S. rates. So Carmen's pretty bearish about uh, the about the emerging markets, but one key point she was bringing out was that a lot of companies in these markets and a lot of people have U.S. dollar debt and the local currencies in revenues. And what happens is that their debt is actually becoming more expensive and the income they have to pay it off is becoming cheaper. That's often caused some quite big crashes around the world. What, what do you think, Piru? Well, I think, uh, Richard, uh, it's time to brace ourselves. And I think we are now on the cusp of another round of deflation. We've had uh, QE-induced inflation of asset prices uh, from 2009 until 2014. Uh, the Fed stopped the QE uh, late last year. The S&P made a high in December. We've had maybe seven or eight months of consolidation uh, with marginally new highs. And to me, we scan maybe three or 4,000 charts every day at our firm. And we've looked at the charts. And if you look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it's already rolled over. It's now declining. It's under the 200-day moving average. The Dow Jones Transportation Average fell a few months ago badly. The small cap index has gone down and rolled over. About 70% of the stocks traded on the New York Stock Exchange, which we see every day in front of our own eyes on charts, are already in their private bear markets. So roughly 30-35% of the stocks in America are still holding up the overall market. And my observation and my experience tells me that when you have this kind of poor market breadth where more stocks are falling over and rolling and the number of 52-week lows is significantly higher than the new 52-week well, highs th these are all, These are all quite bearish indications. Yes. But very often, I suppose what I'm trying to say is could an event like the China devaluation lead to a trigger factor that causes, for instance, a lot of the debt to be exposed, unable to be paid mm. back, um, right. Is this a trigger or is this merely just a development in the market? I think it is a trigger because if you look at the debt levels in the world, uh, Richard, over the last six years, I mean, today the global debt is about $200 trillion. <coughs> and China's debt has gone from about $7 trillion US dollars to $28 trillion, US dollars, a quadrupling of debt in six years. So I think the 
epicenter of the quake in this cycle will be China. In the last cycle, the epicenter was the West, the housing bubble. And now we've got similar problems in China. People think China is different. I tend to disagree. I think China is no different than any other debt-induced economy. Well, poor, it sounds as if we all better go on holiday or, or something or, or buy a farm. Anyway, uh, I, hope China, yes. <laughs> I hope you'll be able to. I hope you'll be able to stay stay with us uh, because we'll be back in just a moment. When you hear the siren and see the flashing blue lights, you know there are lives in danger. Every second counts. Time is the key to saving lives. Giving way to ambulances is not only required by law, but also necessary to help patients get medical treatment as fast as possible. Even if you're not a paramedic, you can help save lives. Every second counts. Save lives. Give way to ambulances. Right. Well, let's bring in uh, Alicia Garcia Herrero, who's chief economist of Asia Pacific for Natixis. So, good morning, Alicia. Good morning. Good. Well, I think you may well be our last economist to be introduced today, but uh, uh, but uh, we always save the best till last. Um, the question that I have is: this devaluation is it a sign of fundamental weakness? of the Chinese economy, or is it, as it's being spun as well, just a development in the emerging market process, the opening up of China? I would actually opt for the first, uh, and I'm sorry to be bearish right after the other speaker. Yeah, after Peru too. But I do think it's really related to a fundamental weakness of the Chinese economy. Um, it, it, It kind of comes handy, doesn't it? I mean, if the IMF wanted uh, a flexible currency, well, let's give it to them. Frankly, were that the story, they would have just widened the band. They announced that on the 24th of July, and they didn't carry through because practically they had the second stock market collapse the Monday right after that. So I think they didn't dare go that way. And when when they saw the data starting from the people, even the official PMI, then the import data, the export data, everything, just on that Monday they thought we need a weaker currency. Or they may have been thinking about it, but I mean they just thought the reserve currency status is a long-term objective, and this is a short-term, immediate objective. We we need more growth. So I think that's what has happened. The, the question is, they really can't go too far with the depreciation because there will be capital outflows. Enzia? Alicia, I just... Sure. Yeah, morning to you. I'm just wondering to put this, to put a little bit of a political spin on this, this flip-flopping in China itself, at least to my mind, does that reflect some divisive domestic politics? No doubt. I mean, I don't think that you change policy... um, so aggressively in, in, such a sh- in such a short time. I mean, the, 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 one could actually read that they realized a little bit earlier, uh, perhaps many also say that data is actually worse than what we're seeing now. So, you know, they kind of know it and, and, and they're getting ready for it. But the, I think my reading going into the political spectrum, not so much the domestic, which I fully agree, but the international, I think this idea that the IMF, having worked at the IMF, I just can't believe that Christine Lagarde comes out and says, well, our staff might not be ready with, you know, with the report for for SDR review. I mean, that is not credible, frankly speaking. This staff is surely ready. It's just that probably China and the IMF agreed for, you know, for a one-year delay in the the 
light of what China needed to do before that. And then? So yes, flexible but cheaper. I'm <laughs> just concerned flexible. though on an, on one other political level, Capitol Hill is going to be a bit like a bull to a red rag on this, having yes. worked there for a while. I think they're going to take it out on the on, in, in the South China Sea. That's where we're going to see a lot of the tension manifest itself between the U.S. and China. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think that this is the other constraint that China has not to move too fast on the exchange rate. Um, you know, have a descent, but not massive depreciation. So it's, of course, capital outflows, but also the U.S. pressure. And we are, you know, in the midst of an, an election campaign. And this, China is always a wonderful target uh, in, in, this t- in this time of, uh, of the year. So I agree. And, and there may be reactions. But, but I, would, I would argue that China should, hopefully could, uh, manage uh, mild depreciation of the order of 10 to 14 percent, regaining only half of the competitiveness that it has lost. And, and Alicia, where, where would that um, take us in terms of uh, of the currency? Number What's your target? Seven. Are you looking at a seven, seven. handle? Seven. Yeah. Seven flat. Seven. Yeah. How about you, Peru? I mean, they might not want a flat number because they are arguing that they they want a flexible currency, so it doesn't look very... Yeah, I know, it's got to be know, 7.01 or something. Exactly. Um, Puru, Puru, what's your bet? Well, I don't really know, to be honest. I have no idea what the policymakers in Beijing are going to do next. But they're not going to allow a massive devaluation. Well, I don't think it's in their hand, to be honest, because if right. the market decides that they don't like the Chinese economy and if there is a deflation in uh, China, especially if a housing bust, which in my view is looking increasingly likely then uh, the policymakers have no control. We've seen that time and time again through mm. various uh, countries. We've seen this movie before. It's Good. Well, the, um, well, this movie's uh, certainly carrying on. We'll, we'll be back tomorrow to, uh, with, I'm sure, a lot more news on it. Anyway, thank you very much, uh, Puru, for that. Puru Saxena, who's um, uh, founder of Puru Saxena Wealth Management, and, of course, uh, Alicia Garcia-Herrera, who's chief economist of Nataxis. Uh, thank you both. Uh, very quickly... Um, Enzio, what's your target for the RMB? I don't have one either. I think that it's... it's yes, because cause you're an economist. Because I'm an economist. I don't have a watch today. You see, so I can't tell you the time. But I do think that the it's definitely going to go down because of capital flight in China. People in China will know that they have to buy foreign assets better today than tomorrow because tomorrow they have to pay more renminbi to buy that same asset. Great, Enzio. Well, thanks for that. That's uh, Enzio von Fahl, investment strategist at Private Capital Limited. And then the markets for today, uh, Australia and Japan are opening up uh, about half a percent each. Um, taking a, a sign, I guess, from uh, New York the night before. Uh, that's money for nothing for today. Thanks to Sandra Lamb, our producer, uh, and I'm Richard Harris. The weather, cloudy with showers and a few squally thunderstorms. The maximum temperature will be around 31 degrees. Moderate southwesterly winds. The outlook, still showery with a few thunderstorms tomorrow. and Showery activity will decrease during the weekend. And uh, stay tuned for Peter Lewis and now the news read by Judd Boas. Just a quick moment. If you do want to listen to any of these stories or any others, uh, don't forget you can pick them up on our Facebook, uh, RTH Radio 3, Money for Nothing, and um, uh, we look forward to hearing any comments from you there. Now for the news. 
Huge explosions have rocked the mainland port city of Tianjin. State media say at least 17 people have been killed and hundreds of others injured. Media reports say residents have moved 10 kilometers away from the explosion as buildings have been collapsing. The BBC's John Sudworth reports. The scale of the disaster is illustrated by one particular piece of mobile phone video taken from a high-rise apartment block. It shows a bright burning glow on the horizon at a distance of around two kilometres, possibly more, and clearly something large is on fire. Then suddenly another bright flash as a huge fireball lights up the sky. The men filming can be heard talking excitedly, and then a full eight seconds later, the force of the blast rattles the building violently. One can only imagine the effect on the buildings clearly visible in silhouette much closer to the blast. President Xi Jinping has called for full efforts to rescue the injured and to extinguish the blaze. The former American president Jimmy Carter has announced that he has cancer. He says he will be rearranging his schedule to undergo treatment. From Washington, here's the BBC's Gary O'Donoghue. Jimmy Carter underwent liver surgery last week and it's now become clear that the cancer has spread to other parts of his body. In the statement, he said further details would be made public after he undergoes further tests by his doctors at a hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. President Carter is 90 years old and is the second oldest living president after George Bush Sr. Police have arrested two more drivers who work for the controversial taxi hire service Uber. On Tuesday, five Uber drivers and three office workers were arrested on suspicion of providing illegal car rental services. South Korea's Yonhap News Agency says North Korea's vice premier was executed by firing squad.